Good evening, saints and friends. God bless you. Appreciate you seeing you on and with us. Uh, thank God I see some of some of the men with us today. It's awesome to have men in Bible study. So such a blessing and uh, grateful for all of you. We're going to uh, bow our heads and we're going to say a word of prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and we appreciate you, God. We uh, magnify you for all that you are and all that you mean. Thank you for doing the things that you do in our lives. Thank you for bringing us to the place that we are where we are loving you and being loved by you, mainly being loved by you, which helps us to love you. So God, as we study your word, give us clarity, give us wisdom, give us strength, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're coming to the close of our series. Uh, let's uh, recap. So we've been in the kingdom series, and we started off with what we called King of Kings, and that is was simply... Uh, showing that God is the ultimate king and we are the kings under him. We rule and reign under him. And then we talked about kingdom come, uh, mainly mentioning that we're looking for the kingdom to come in this age, not just in a future age. And then there's a king in me. Uh, the process of becoming a king, even though we are anointed, the process of becoming a king, the king that's inside of us. And then we uh, discuss kingdom wealth, uh, part one. And then uh, Kingdom Wealth Part 2. And both of those were just talking about wealth God's way and how uh, we view it as related to the kingdom, not doing anything outside of the kingdom to get the wealth. So uh, I guess the greatest scripture to put those two together would be uh, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And then for Palm Sunday, we talk about kingdom triumph, how God uh was showing us his victory when he entered into Jerusalem, but he shows us his victory by actually becoming humble and lowering uh, himself. And then we parked with kingdom arise. And this was our resurrection Sunday sermon. And so let's give a definition of arise. And it simply means, well, actually not the definition. We, we, uh, we arise is a pretty simple uh, word. It just means to rise, but we wanted to give you some synonyms of what arise is. And so uh, some other words were come to light. So kingdom come to light, uh, kingdom become apparent, which is a lot about what the series is about, is that it's the appearing of the kingdom. It's already here, but becoming apparent for us, we becoming uh, aware that it's already here. And then doing what we need to do to help it to appear. So becoming apparent, making appearance, emerge. A good word is emerge. So it's growing into the space that it's supposed to be. It's emerging. And uh, well, a, a good example of emerge would be when you're looking at the sun and how there's cloud. It's a cloudy day and then the sun is there. You know, the sun is there because the the uh, the daytime it's lit, but the clouds are blocking it. But then it parts and it emerges. And so that's what we're looking at for the kingdom actually emerging. And then we talked about turn up, come about, surface, spring up. I use turn up uh, because that's a common term for people who are like wanting to party, to have a good time. They say, let's turn up this weekend. So what we've been trying to do, we're trying to turn up the kingdom. When I uh, first begin to uh, bring this into a series, I talked about a book that I read called... Uh, 
how God became king. And one of the things that he talks about that I found it interesting, he uh, used the analogy of speakers. He was talking about the four gospels and the four gospels are different sets of speakers. But he was saying some of them were turned up too loud and some were turned down too low. So it didn't have a harmonious sound as it relates to the message of the kingdom. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to turn everything to the right frequency so that it can be heard clearly. So that as you are looking through the scripture, that we're constantly hearing and thinking of the king and the kingdom. Not every scripture is focusing on the king, but once we get through this series, that should be the uh that should be the background music that plays throughout everything we see, knowing that we are part of a kingdom that has a king who is ruling and reigning, but he's doing things his way. So uh, we're trying to turn the volume up a little bit so that it becomes more apparent to us. All right. So after uh, we talked about that, I uh, mentioned this spoiler alert. And it's kind of funny because I'm one of those people that I very rarely get to see things right away. I used to have to uh, take a chunk of time uh, to kind of watch things. Actually, Mondays, I consider my spiritual days off where I try not to do any church work. So usually I'll try to catch up on stuff or series or whatever. So since I'm behind, if you are around the wrong person, they will blow it for you. They'll tell you what happened. And uh, it's funny, we, we tease my father-in-law because he's bad about it, but he knows it. And so he try, he'll try to do better and he'll be like, I'm not going to tell you what happened, but, but wait for the ending. Well, that you already let me know that something's going to happen at the end. So it's like, it robs me of that, the suspense. So, when it comes to Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday, it's no surprise what happened. Jesus rose. Like, we don't even have to get to Easter to understand that. That's part of the reason why we serve God is because we believe that he didn't die. His death was not final or fatal, that there was another part to the story. So having that understanding as a preacher, it's like, how do I keep telling the same story over and over, but do it in a different way? Because most everybody already knows how the situation ends. And so as I thought about that, I was realizing that this really lines up with our kingdom series. This is a very good place to end the the kingdom series. And so as I was studying, I was like, one of the ways I could do it is to not go to any of the normal resurrection cross stories, not go to the, the scriptures where he actually is, uh, has the crown of thorns, where he's actually judged and condemned, where, where he's actually beaten, where he's actually put on the cross, put in the tomb, uh, where they see the stone rolled away to not go to any of that but still teach that story to show you that what was happening, If even if you take that out, God was still showing you through his kingdom what was going to happen. So that was what I decided to do. I was going to preach the message without going to any of those scriptures. Um, another good example of that was the Saturday before uh, Sunday, last Sunday, I went to see the movie Air, which tells the story of how the partnership between uh, Nike and Michael Jordan came to be to where we get Air Jordan shoes. And it talks about how Nike went pursuing him to get him. And it's, it's, it's a very good backstory. But one of the things that they do that's interesting, they never show Michael Jordan's face. 
they don't show the actor and and I'm not spoiling anything. This is just it's uh, something they chose to do. So you see him from angles, you see him from behind, but you never see a, a full on shot of his face as a young person. And one of the reasons why the director said that, because he was such a prominent figure that any actor who tried to play him or tried to pr- portray you would just it, it would seem disingenuous. So they do a lot of camera tricks to give you the inference of him without actually showing him. And so I'm doing something very similar as I'm going to the scripture. I'm not going right directly there. I'm, I'm hitting it from angles, but I want you to see how it lines up to what we've been teaching. So having said that, uh, we first wanted to start with the kingdom because that's what we've been talking about. But there were several times where Jesus was describing the kingdom. So first of all, that's what he preached. Jesus came preaching the kingdom. He did talk about repent, but he preached the kingdom uh, the majority of the time. John the Baptist, he, he talked about some repenting, but it was mainly Jesus's main message was the kingdom. So he was constantly trying to get them to have glimpses of it or what it would look like. He was trying to paint the picture. And it wasn't just that he thought that they were going to get it because he knew a lot of it was going to be missed on them because they were only looking for a literal physical kingdom. So much of what Jesus was going to do, they were going to miss. But he was planting seeds. He was setting something up that when we go back and look at it and then we go even further back and pick up the Old Testament, we see actually that this is a painting that was being constructed the whole time. We are right now in the middle of the ending of this big picture, but it's been painstakingly with detail. It's been building. The plot has been building the whole time into this point. So even back when Jesus was on the earth, he was dropping hints and he was showing things. And now we can go back and pick up those hints and it becomes more uh, loud to us, more strong to us now that we are on the other end. There's uh, something I've seen in interviews that I find interesting. I I hear people say, if you could go back and tell your 10-year-old self anything, what would you tell them? Or if you can go back and tell your 18-year-old self uh, something, what would you tell them? And as a 46-year-old man, it's what I would tell the 10-year-old self is totally different because I have so much context now. I've seen myself from a young child all the way to 46. So what I would tell a 10 year old is so much, my 10 year old self is so much more profound than I told myself at the time that I was 10. So similarly, when we are looking at the Bible and we're on this further in, we can see things differently. We can see stuff unfolding and we can put pieces together and it can be so exciting for us because we're seeing the bigger picture and we're so much a part of it and we realize what God has done. And so that's one great way to actually study the Bible, studying it based on the knowledge that you know now, but also studying it as if you didn't know anything at all. Like what would it be like if you were in that time, strip yourself of what you know, and then go back and read it again with what you know. And when you put the two together, it really gives you so much context. It really inspires you because what it shows you is that God is very detailed and he has a master plan and he's just plunking away, putting his plan together. And now it's starting to unfold in our lifetime. So it's it's really amazing. Uh, 
So that's kind of the context that I was thinking of. So we decided we were going to look at the kingdom first. So the first uh, verse I went to was Mark 4.30. So in this particular uh, chapter, Jesus tells several uh, parables, and many of them have to do with the kingdom, but many of them have to do with the kingdom and seed. But when it comes down to verse 30, it's almost like he's trying to add one more thing to really bring it home. So it's this way. It says, uh, Jesus said, how can I describe the kingdom of God? What story should I use to illustrate it? In other words, he was saying, after I've told you all these other things in this uh, chapter, how can I really describe it? And, and one of the reasons why he says that is because at the beginning of the chapter, he tells this story. And the larger audience didn't catch it. The larger audience didn't know what he was saying. The disciples came to him privately. It was like, okay, what were you talking about? So he begins to tell them, he said, because it's given to you guys to know the inner workings. So I'm explaining to you. So he goes back and explains the story that he told the larger crowd. He gives full detail to it, explains it all the way. And then he keeps going and keeps adding things. And so when you get to this point, he's like, okay, how can I illustrate? It's almost like a a teacher trying to think, "Mm, I I need my students to get it. What else can I say? And so he comes up with this thought. This is how I can illustrate it because he was really trying to bring it home to his disciples. So for us looking at it, this gives us a really good glimpse of what the kingdom is like. So let's go back to it again. How can I describe the kingdom of God? What story should I use to illustrate it? All right. So verse 31, it is like a mustard seed planted in the ground and it is the smallest of all seeds. So one of the things he's trying to get them to know that it's going to go unrecognized because it's small. It's not coming with large fanfare. It's not coming with a parade. It's actually coming very small. One of the reasons why it's coming small is because there is another kingdom occupying right now much of the space, which was not just the governments, not just literal governments, but the actual satanic demonic kingdom. Ever since Adam and Eve messed up, Satan comes in and he begins to set up territory. So by the time Jesus shows up, Satan's kingdom is in full effect. So he's like, my kingdom is, comes with me, but it's going to come small. It actually has to be a sneak attack, a surprise attack, and not because God was afraid of Satan, but because God had already dealt with humans and humans had already turned their back on God and hooked up with Satan. So if God doesn't come small and if he doesn't come strategic, it'll just be a waste again. And the scripture says that Jesus was the last Adam. In other words, we tried it the first time with Adam and Eve. They messed up. So I'm bringing someone else, but he's going to finish what Adam started. But I can't just show up on the scene. I got to really weave it in there. I've got to do it like very, very small. I got to make it happen. Um, there's another thing that I've seen, like you can look at uh, maps or pictures of the United States and it looks like picture of the United States. But then when you get closer, it's actually individual pictures of people. But the way that they put them together, when you stand far back, it just looks like a map, it just looks like a picture of the United States. But there's actually individual pictures. And you see that in a lot of things people uh, do that. I even seen someone re- uh, recently uh, draw a picture, I think maybe uh, I think Malcolm X. And it was the letter M 
drawn thousands of times, but they had connected them to where it painted a picture. So that's what God was doing with the kingdom. He was bringing something small that they weren't going to catch. You really had to get in close to see what was going on. So it says, it's like a mustard seed planted in the ground, the smallest of all seeds. Verse 32, but it becomes the largest of all garden plants. It grows along branches and birds can make nests in its shade. So one of the very smallest seeds actually produces one of the tallest, largest plants. So such a large plant that actually birds can nest in it. Birds normally nest in trees and high places, but this is something that's would be in a garden. So just because it starts small doesn't mean the ending is going to be small. And so the picture that I wanted to, to kind of bring up for that was this picture of a penny and a mustard seed. And I've actually held a mustard seed and it's tiny. This is really blown up. So this almost looks like a lemon head, but it's, it's just showing the context between a penny because a penny is small, but a a mustard seed, if you actually hold just one seed in your hand, it's smaller than the ant. It is like really, really tiny. And so this picture, once again, it shows that comparison compared to a penny. The penny looks so much larger. But then this other picture shows how the mustard seed plant, after being planted and not really cultivated, just allowed to grow how huge it is. And it's even in a desert place where there's not a lot of... uh water and life and vegetation, but still that seed was able to produce all of that. And everything we see in this picture was hidden inside that small seed to begin with. So the potential that was inside the seed is huge. It's a huge potential. All right, let's give another picture. And that's once it's actually cultivated, not allowed to just go wild, but actually put it in the field and cultivate it. And here's a, a man who's got a sickle and he's uh, tasked with harvesting the, uh, the seed or har- harvesting the plant and it's up to his waist. So just because it's small doesn't mean it's small. Just because your journey seems real long. And compared to where you want to be and who you are right now, it, the gap seems so huge. What God is saying, the kingdom says that that's not a, that's not an issue. One scripture says, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Just because it starts small doesn't mean anything because it packs a powerful punch. There's a whole lot on the inside of it. But also what this picture shows is that it begets other plants. So, uh, normally when you see mustard seed, there's several of them. They're, they're small, but there's a bunch of them because seeds actually produce seeds. Well, actually what the seed produces the plant and then the plant produces more seed. And so it's a, it's a cycle. That's what the whole vegetation cycle is about. The seed produces a plant, then the plant produces more seed. And then if you just keep the process, you'll have a field full of it. If you, this was kind of interesting. It reminds me of just being in Indiana and seeing rows and rows of cornfields, but they didn't start like that. It started with one seed and that seed was able to produce. So that's what the kingdom is like. The kingdom is like that. So what about the king? Is the king uh, similar to the kingdom. The kingdom is like a small seed that's able to grow. Was well, the king similar? 
So let's look at his own words. Look at John 12, 23. Jesus replied, now the time has come for the son of man to enter into his glory. Now, up until this point with what we preached, we already know he is the king. So conventional wisdom would say that if he's going to enter into his glory, it's going to be really majestic, a bunch of pomp and circumstance. But knowing what we already know about Jesus, when he first showed up, he shows up in a manger, not in actual, even in a a hotel room. There was no room in the inn. He's in the manger. So everything that we know about him has actually been opposite than what you would think of glorious and majestic. Now, of course, he got some steam and some fame as he began to do miracles, but he only did that for the people. He never did that for his own shine because sometimes he told people not to even tell who he who he was. Don't uh, don't even uh, say anything about this. Like when he healed one leper, he said, just go straight to the uh, to the priests and make sure you're declared king. But don't don't say anything about me because that's not what he was trying to do. Like I said, he was trying to come in subtly because he was working on something that was much bigger than Israel, which was you and I. He was working on something larger. So he was taking his time. But when he says he's going to enter into his glory, it would seem that maybe something powerful is going to happen. So let's continue to read verse 24. Then he says this. I tell you the truth. In other words, I want to make this very plain to you. I'll tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. So he's actually telling the story that I just told you that seed have to go into the ground and then they're able to produce more seed. But what he adds something that I didn't say that the seed actually has to die. So life actually has to come through death. And the point that he's making, and we'll go back to it again, the point that he make making is that unless it dies, it remains alone. So that really covers the whole gospel story right there. Uh, we can take it back to John three sixteen that says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. But if we do it like a math equation, you got God, you have a son, but God wants a family. So in order to get the family, he gives up the one son. In other words, he makes the son the seed. But the problem with the seed, the seed has to die. It can't live. So when Jesus and God come up with this plan, I'm just, you know, being facetious. Uh, I don't know how how it worked in heaven. But when they have this plan and Jesus says yes to it, he knew he was actually coming to die. He was going to be born to die. And so then it also says, but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives, which is you and I. So Jesus knew that he was coming to sacrifice his life for us. So I skipped over to verse 27. Then it says, this, now my soul is deeply troubled. I want to stop there for a second. So if Jesus knew he was going to die. Why, once he got close to it, why was his soul deeply troubled? He he already accepted the assignment. He came specifically to die. He came to be the seed. So why would he be troubled? Well, here's the problem 
is that he had to die, but he had to die full of sin. And being full of sin, it was going to separate him from his father. Up until this point, he had never been separated from his father. Even when he came to earth, that separation, the moment he began to grow, we see that he was praying and he was connecting with his father. Even at 12 years old, they couldn't find him. He was in the temple teaching the priests. So he was well advanced. He never had been without his father. But in order to become the seed, he had to be full of sin because he had to actually take the sin of the world. So I always put it to you like this. We are not innocent, but some of us are. We're not the most wicked people in the world. Like some of us, we're not like rapists, molesters, murderers, but we're not innocent. But he was totally innocent and had to take the sin of all of that. The worst, most vile sin that you can think of, the worst person in human history, he had to take all of that sin onto himself. And so that's why he was deeply troubled, because God, his father, cannot coexist with that kind of sin. So, yes, he came to be the seed to die, but he was, he was actually going to have to have this separation. So. Now we understand the full sacrifice that Jesus did. And the crazy thing is, is that people say, well, the world is getting worse and worse and worse. Well, Jesus had to die for sins that had not yet been committed. He had to die for every future sin and every past sin. So before Hitler was born, he had to die for the atrocities of Hitler and all the crazy people that we don't know about. That was before Christ's time. He had he had to take it all and he was actually telling his disciples, warning them that this is how it's going to be. So that explains why he was deeply troubled. His soul was deeply troubled. Then he says this, should I pray, Father, save me from this hour. But this is the very reason I came. In other words, he's saying the relationship I have with my father, I can ask him to just call this off. Let's 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 go back to the drawing board. Let's figure something else out because the people you created, they've made such a mess and sin has become so rampant that if I step into this, there's got to be another way. But then he says, but this is the reason I came. I didn't come just to heal people. I didn't come just so people can say, oh, look at Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I actually came to die and I came to be the sin sacrifice in the old days it was called the scapegoat where they would actually put the sin of the people onto uh the goat and sacrifice that or put the sin onto the lamb and sacrifice that he said i now am the once for all sacrifice for all time and i have to have all sin on me so that that kind of ups the ante a little bit verse 31 it says the time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. OK, got a question here. He's talking about dying and he hasn't said anything about overthrowing Satan. He hasn't said anything about that. Now, all of a sudden, he's saying the time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. Well, what are you talking about? He's actually saying when I pull the sin and when I die, that's actually going to usurp the power of Satan is actually going to reverse the kingdoms because Satan's only power is sin. 
when I handle sin is the moment his kingdom is going to begin to erode. Now, we talked about it earlier in the series. It wasn't like a snap like this and it's Satan's kingdom toppled, but it's just like little by little, like uh, the sand on the seashore when the waves come and how it pulls the uh, shore with it. So you could be walking uh, dry on the sand and then over time, the next thing you know, you're like, man, I'm ankle deep in the water. I didn't move, but the ocean is coming and it's grabbing and pulling that sand from underneath. And if, uh, if you are not careful, current can sweep you out. So that's what the kingdom of God is doing to the kingdom of Satan. It starts small, but it begins to rip stuff from him. So Jesus said, that's, that's my objective. So I'm going to have to go through this tough thing because this is the full objective of why I came. It's time for Satan to, uh, be cast out. Verse 32. Then he says, and when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. So I took some time to explain in on Sunday that what that actually meant is that he's drawing all men's sin, not drawing all people. Uh, the King James said, I will draw all men unto myself. And so some people will be like, well, not everybody believes in Jesus. So how could that have been true? But it really means he's drawing all men's sin. So that's why I need to be lifted up the way I'm going to be lifted up because when I do that, I'm actually going to become a magnet for sin and I'm actually going to be drawing all sin to me. And then when I'm crucified, I'm actually taking that sin to the grave. And so verse 33 said, he said this to indicate how he was going to die. So from the top, when he began to talk about unless a seed dies to the end where he talks about if I be lifted up, both of those, he was talking about how he was going to die. So uh, for lack of better words, I decided to choose a picture. So here's this picture of Jesus being nailed to the cross by Roman soldiers. And so they were nailed on the ground and then they were hoisted up after they had been beat and stripped. Then they would nail them in this manner and then they would lift uh, the cross up. The whole purpose of this was for asphyxiation, where we get the word crucifixion anyway. It was for the people to actually suffocate. Whoever uh, was crucified on a cross, they die from suffocation because the weight of their body hanging there and uh, how they were put there, you couldn't breathe. But then you couldn't lift yourself up to get the breath that you need. When you breathe in, you your whole body's lifting. But when you're pierced and hung, you can't get the breath. So you can get a little bit just to keep going. But you, you eventually suffocate to death. And you suffocate from the pain. And then in order sometimes to deal with pain, and many times when we have get hit with something, we're like, <laughs> sometimes those breath help us deal with the pain. Well, if you breathe like that, that's going to speed up the process of you dying. So it was an excruciating way to die. It was uh, actually masterful execution. And when cooler heads prevailed, they banned it and said, there's no way we should be killing people like this. But what Jesus was saying, when they hoist me up, they think they're hoisting me up. And actually, when they hoist them up, they actually set the uh, the cross down into the ground. And that jarring would break bones, which would cause more breathing trouble. So 
I mean, it, it, it was like I said, it, it was excruciating. But what Jesus said, once I'm pulled up like that and lifted up like that, because one scripture says way back in the Old Testament it says, cursed is every man that hangs on a tree, which who would have known that that Jesus was in going to be hung on a wooden cross because crucifixion was not even uh, thought of, dreamed up at the time that that scripture was talked about. Galatians picks that scripture back up from Old Testament times and, and shows us that Jesus was the one that hangs on the tree. So Jesus, when he says he pulls the sin, he pulls the judgment, he pulls the curse, everything that sin brought, he was drawing it all to himself by being hoisted up on the cross. So th that led me to uh, some five points. Point number one was this. The kingdom came when Jesus the king was born. I won't cover that because that's what we've already talked about. But the moment he showed up, the kingdom came. It just was small. It was just a small seed. It wasn't a planted seed yet. It was just a seed. So number two, the kingdom couldn't arise until the, until Jesus the king became the seed that would die. So when we look at the life of Jesus, his teachings, his miracles, his healings, how he handled the disciples, that, uh, microcosm of his time is not the most important part about him it, it's just really good story it teaches a lot about him but it really isn't powerful until he actually became the seed and when he voluntarily sacrificed that's when he really became the seed so he was he was uh he, he wasn't the savior until after the resurrection he wasn't uh, filled with sin until he actually became the seed. So a lot of the stuff that we see about Jesus is just to show us how powerful he personally was, the type of life that he walked, how he lived. But much of that was really for Israel. It was really to fulfill prophecy. It doesn't really become very close to us until he actually becomes the seed. But it was prophesied way before at the beginning of time, it was prophesied about it. So we're going all the way back to Genesis, Genesis chapter three. So when you look at the way the Bible is laid out, Genesis one deals with uh, the creation and recreation and formation. Genesis two actually talks about humans. That's when we begin to see uh, Adam, Eve and the garden, Genesis and the fall, Genesis three we see the curses being laid out. So this is early on in humanity. And this is what the scripture says. But this is what God is talking to the serpent. Verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. So the prophecy was that the seed was going to crush the head of Satan. So Jesus couldn't crush Satan's head until he became the seed. Early on, we see that Jesus was tempted by Satan. He, uh, he avoided the temptation, but he didn't overthrow Satan. Now he did, uh, cast demons out of people, but when Satan and Jesus were face to face in the scripture, we don't see anything. We don't see Jesus doing anything because he couldn't crush him until he became the seed. So having said that, let's look at this seed germination, seed germination.
So uh, I was talking that 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 idea, the idea of seed germination was just like really in my head. And I couldn't figure out how it connected. And the Lord helped me connect it. But I started looking at uh, kitty pictures to explain the process. So in uh, human form, there's gestation. But in seed form, it's called germination. Gestation is what happens with the embryo in the womb. But it's very similar what happens with the seed, and it's called germination. So as I looked at it, I found out these are the things that a seed needs to grow. It needs soil. It needs air. It needs sunlight and water. And then I begin to look at Jesus as the seed, and we know that when he was buried, that's like him having interaction with the soil. Well, then where's the air coming from? Well, uh, Jesus was the breath of life or God breathed in man the breath of life, the actual pneuma, what we call it, the pneuma of God. We are all living in that the breath of God. So when Jesus walked in the earth, he was actually having the air of God in him. And then you have the sunlight. Jesus is the son of God. He is the light and life. And then you have water. The only one I couldn't figure out was the water. But Jesus died from his own blood. It talks about he shed his blood. So the blood is the water. So the actual seed, even though the seed had to die, that was not the major purpose of the seed. The major purpose of the seed is that the seed would grow, but the seed can't grow until it first dies. But when you look at Jesus as the seed, we see that actually what we see in the three days when he was down, why didn't Jesus just uh, die and then 30 seconds later, later, just pop back up. See, Mike, it would have been quick. It would have been easier. Uh, the disciples wouldn't have been so confused. They wouldn't be so sad if he would have just died and rose real, real quick. But he actually stayed in the earth because it was a seed, it was a seed germination process. And so then I, I moved on to this picture that gives a uh, really more detailed thing. It, it shows, and the major thing I wanted to focus on is the far left which it uh before it even puts the word embryo just that covered up shell of a seed and as i looked like that looked at that it just dawned on me it hit me that's the tomb when they sealed the tomb and they rolled the stone in front of that tomb and that uh that stone tomb and then the stone was closed jesus was sealed up and so he was the seed that was fully covered up and so then when you Go back and look at the embryo. What you see with the embryo is you see something coming out of the seed, but instead of going upward, it is going downward. And then you see that the seed coat starts eroding and roots are starting to grow deeper. So this would be the third picture on this picture, the third illustration. So the Bible says that Jesus went down into hell once he went to in the tomb, he actually went into hell. So his spirit went down the hell. He went deeper, but that's just like the process of seed germination. And so when we talk about the stone being rolled away, the, the tomb could not hold Jesus. It was like the seed parting up, opening up. It is actually a beautiful thing. And then the fourth illustration is the Cotyledon, which I don't know much about that, but you see that the seed coat is almost all the way gone and the roots in have gotten deep. And then the fifth illustration shows the parts of that plant starting to spring up and there is no more seed coat. And that reminded me of the resurrection. 
the rising of God because the stone had to open up. It couldn't hold him because he was the seed and he was actually opening up. He had done what he needed to do in hell. What the scripture tells us that he led captivity captive. So what that means is all the people who had died and not got a chance to put their faith and trust in the Messiah. He preaches a basically a revival in hell. He comes and he's <laughs> tearing Satan up and the demons. And he is uh, he's uh, it's called Sheol the grave. There's a, there's, there's a lot of stuff to get into. But basically, he was giving people a chance to believe in him. That's a quick way of saying it, not a very good way of, of tell, telling it, but a quick way of telling it. So then uh, going back to the final shot in the picture, you, now you see what it looks like a plant. But then it says roots and shoots. So it had to happen this way because the roots had to go deep for the shoots to come up. That idea of that seed germination is basically me retelling the resurrection, the death, burial, and resurrection without ever going to those scriptures, showing you another way and a, a way that hopefully will stick in your mind. So then I looked even further and found another picture that was for kids only. It was called seed germination for kids. I cut the, the words out, but let's look it up here. And it's really simple. You have the little brown seed, then you see it open up green. But when you get to the very last picture, what I found powerful about that once it starts shooting up, it looks so much like the cross. The uh, second to last illustration on this picture looks like the cross, but then on the further one, it looks even more like it. So I just, I just like that. And it just made me think, okay, this is showing really what God was trying to do. He was going to sacrifice his son so that his son would go into the earth and his blood would be in the earth because when uh, Adam and Eve messed up and Satan's kingdom came, it was the earth and under the earth. Everything was contaminated. It's like taking a glass of water and you drop some uh, drops of food coloring in it. It's going to affect all the water. That's what sin did. So Jesus had to go into the earth and fix it from the inside out. So the cross represents, and I'm going to go back to that picture really quick. The cross represents not just death. So when we see the cross, we shouldn't just see death and sacrifice. It represents that, but it also represents burial and resurrection. So the cross represents life. So God had to go to the cross to actually produce the life that we need. Now, with that understanding, I came to point number three, which says this. The kingdom allowed Jesus, the king, to become captured. And killed by Satan. So the very one who caused sin to come was also helping the kingdom arise, but was too dumb to know it. So one of the reasons why when Jesus and Satan were first together and Jesus avoided the temptation, beat the temptation, he didn't overthrow Satan right there. He stays in the earth and he allows Satan to almost hang himself. Actually, honestly, Judas, who betrayed Jesus, he literally hung himself. He allowed Satan to have part in the crucifixion, part in, because in Satan's mind, he was closing the casket, closing the tomb. He was getting rid of Jesus once and for all, and he thought he would get away with it because the majority of the people didn't even believe in Jesus anyway. So it wasn't going 
uh, he wasn't making a big uh, dent, so to speak. So let's kill him, get him out of the way. Let's stir up everything. Now, in the beginning, when Herod heard that uh, something like a king was coming when Jesus was born, they tried to kill all the young people. So they, they didn't get it there. And there was other times they tried to kill throughout the process. But this was the perfect time because the religious leaders were in on it. The Romans uh, soldiers were in on it. Pilate was in on it. And the people had yelled crucify him. So I'm finished with Jesus once and for all. Yes, he's done a lot of things in these three and a half years, but we can get it over, get him out of the way. But he actually was playing right into the hands of God. And so what I shared on Sunday morning was the plot twist, how this was actually in the plan of God. This was in the kingdom. And it was all part of what God was doing because God was going to hide all that sin inside the seed and take that seed into the soil and wash that seed with his blood and then break it open and cause it to have roots and shoot and come back up so that the kingdom would now have life so that everybody now has access to life through one man's death. Uh, in later in the New Testament, it says through one man's transgression. All were condemned sinners. Now through one man's act of righteousness, all can be made righteous. So it was an exchange, but he allowed Satan to be the major player in it because he was overthrowing him. And so uh, in First Corinthians 2, Paul makes this statement. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they knew what was going on, they would have never crucified him. But Jesus was born to die. So that's why Jesus couldn't be real pomp and circumstance, real big about it. He had to be real small. He had to be like the mustard seed because what he was working on, if they found out, they never would have crucified him. And he couldn't have just killed himself. Well, I'm going to come and I'm going to kill myself. No, that wouldn't have worked because Satan tricked Adam and Eve to turning things over to them. So in order for it to work properly, he had to have Satan involved. He had to have people involved. It had to all be laid out just right. It took several thousand years for Jesus to come on the scene, but everything had to fall in place and it was all lining up. And then on the cross, and I didn't share this on Sunday, because I wasn't going to the scriptures, but on the cross, he makes a statement. It is finished because everything was, everything had lined up. This is the final act of the play. And now I'm going into the ground. I'm giving up my last breath. I'm dying. They're going to take me off the cross. They're going to put me in the tomb, but then the seed germination is going to begin to happen. And the kingdom is going to be able to spring up from here. So, Look at what it says next from this verse. None of the rulers of this age, they none of them understood it. But then verse nine, but as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man, the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And so Paul is making the connection to regular humans. And normally when people preach this verse, they're talking about the future of a, a human like, man, I hasn't seen 
and ear hasn't heard what God wants to do in your life in the future tense. And that is accurate, but it doesn't uh, paint the full context of the verse in the full context of the verse. The rulers didn't see what was going on or else they wouldn't have crucified him. So the full context of the verse is your enemy can't see what God is doing. So when you like Christ become a seed and you're in a process of dying and you're losing things and things are being stripped away and it doesn't look like stuff is working out. And sometimes you're getting frustrated. God doesn't fix the frustration because he's not trying to frustrate you. He's trying to trick your enemy. And then he turns it in your favor and you're like, wow, God made a way. And what God was saying, I was making a way the whole time. All things work together for your good, but I couldn't let your enemy know that. So I can't see it. Ear can't hear it. But if you love me, I'm going to work it out. I'm going to turn it in your favor. And we can look at Christ because it did not look like he won on the cross. It doesn't look like the kingdom was advancing. But the kingdom actually took its greatest leap forward, but he he did it through dying, but not just dying, dying to rise or dying to grow. So it was all a master plan, but the plan still goes in now that sometimes in order for us to go upwards, we go downwards first. So point number four, when he, the king, got up, the whole kingdom got up. Now the kingdom can arise in you and me. So like we showed the little uh, tiny mustard seed and then we see a, a field full of it. That's the king. He said, that's what the kingdom is like. But first it had to happen in Jesus, that that main seed, him being that seed. And so that when he sprung forth, then the whole kingdom can spring forth. But first the kingdom does not come because the Bible says the kingdom doesn't come with observation, doesn't come saying, look here, or look there. He said the kingdom is nigh you, it's in you. It's the word of faith that you preach. And I'm not mixing and paraphrasing two scriptures together, but it's, it's the same uh, concept. It's righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. He said that's actually the kingdom of God, because what happens is the kingdom comes in here first. And it rules us first. It rules us from the inside out. And then we start ruling and reigning in life. And so in other words, if I've been angry all through my life, through my generations, my family is anger, angry. I have a short temper and all through life I've acted with the short temper. And then over time I get connected to God. And next thing you know, I'm just not as angry as I used to be. I don't, I don't function like I used to. What's happened? The kingdom is getting up in you because of what Jesus has done. And now your sons, you're teaching them to be less angry. Now, generations later, the generation that used to be angry is now a generation that's peaceful. That's the kingdom of God. It's actually making changes, but because it comes small and slow, it doesn't look like what it is. And Satan doesn't pick up on it, but the whole time, the kingdom of God is arising. So when the kingdom of God comes up in us, that's where things are, are uh, making a difference. So when you get excited about coming to church and somebody may say, well, why would you get excited about coming to church? It's like, I can't even explain it. It's like, it's something in here. Something jumps inside of me. It's the kingdom of God rising up in you. It's a consistent resurrection happening inside of you. And then that's what impacts the world around us. So, Looking at our final verses, Isaiah 61 says this. And so this was prophesied through Isaiah before Jesus even showed up. So it shows how another thing about the cross, the cross is like this. And then it 
it goes this way. So what the cross does, it connects the Old Testament and it connects the New Testament in one person, which is Jesus on the cross. So now Old Testament scriptures make more sense to us before they were just for Israel. But now they make sense to us because Jesus connects them in the cross. And so picking up an Old Testament scripture, arise, shine for thy light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Well, upon is a word we don't use too often, but it's two words up and on. So what's in you starts rising up till it gets on you. So, so what happens is the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Now, before Jesus said, I'm getting ready to enter into my glory and then he dies. Well, that don't look too glorious. Well, now we understand the glory is the glory that comes up and in, in us. And then it gives us basically today's age. Verse two. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. So here one time, one moment you're talking about glory. The next moment you're talking about is about to get dark. It's going to get even darker and the whole earth is going to be covered with darkness. It's like this doesn't seem too glorious, God. But remember, he's the master screenplay artist. He's showing us something very masterful. He says this, but the Lord shall arise upon thee and his glory shall be seen upon thee. So let's put it all together and make it make sense for us. So this is what is going on. The world, many times because the kingdom is hidden, they're not going to see it. The only time they really see it is when things get dark. Most people, if life is peachy king, they have no need for God. They have no need to reach for God. They have no need for church. But when things get dark and it's not God making things dark. The devil, that's what he does. He's trying to get back. He's trying to get his kingdom back. So he starts making things dark. That's what he does. But what God says, we don't worry about that because the darker things get, the more the light is seen. And I say it all the time on our phones. We have flashlights. If I turn my flashlight on, which actually I think I'm going to do. I'm going to turn my flashlight on. You can see it a little, but it, it's it's not doing a whole lot. The only way it'll do a whole lot is if it gets extremely dark, then that light. So light is always light, but light is actually stronger the darker it gets. So when the Bible says that the glory is going to rise up in you and you're going to shine, you the, the day you accept Jesus, you immediately begin shining. But most people don't see it until it gets darker. And now as the world gets darker and we shine brighter, people begin to switch and, and they always want to come to the light. And so then we share this final point. Uh, verse, uh, I mean, point number five, get thee up kingdom, get up in me. So this was a declaration that we said, and I will just go ahead and declare it. Get thee up kingdom, get up in me. So as Jesus, as we think about the resurrection and him rising up, he went down purposely, but he rose up with all powers in his hand. And God, when it's my time to shine, rise up in me and let me shine and let me make a difference. So this closes our kingdom series. But the idea is we are going to be kings in this land, shining bright. Like when they say from sea to shining sea, we become the sea to shining sea, sea in the world in today's age, not just when Jesus died and rose. No, right now we become the beacon hopes of light for the world by allowing God to rise up in us. So kingdom arise. 
And then we had our DT youth and they did a special presentation. And so it was a beautiful day. So let's uh, pause and reflect with a word of prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, God, as we see what you've done for us, God, and how it was all hidden in your plan, it was all hidden in the story, you knew exactly what you were doing. But God, it is a perpetual thing, a continual thing, because the Bible says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, it dwells in our mortal bodies. So even in our fleshly weak bodies, there is a resurrection happening in us on a daily basis. And God, as we keep getting up and keep pressing forward, let us shine in a way that will draw people, men and women and children to say, what must I do to be saved? And let us help a generation with the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you all. Have a great and wonderful week. It's always good to be with you. Hopefully that you carry that resurrection power in you, not just around the Passover time, but on a consistent basis. Amen. Bless you.